0: How many of you have looked at someone, have ever seen someone, and you thought, man, I wish I had their life? Like, have you ever done that? Am I the only one? This week I was driving through the McDonald's drive through no surprise there, but there was a Lamborghini in front of me, and I'm like, Landon, check out that car, and we're Googling it, and it looks like it starts at around $260,000, and I'm like, what does that guy do? Like, man... But maybe you see someone and maybe it's just part of their life that you see. Like you see their Instagram where we see the highlight reels and they're out having fun and 40 billion friends and they're playing pickleball and going to restaurants together and you're like, man, I wish I had their life or their friendship circles. Or maybe it's someone that has a career that they've studied for and now they're doing it because you studied for something and you're not even in that line of field that you, line of work that you thought you'd be in. Like I started off going to accounting, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to bring in the big bucks, and now I'm in ministry, still bringing in the big bucks. <laughs> but it could be a ministry. You could look at someone and say, wow, they're really making a difference. You, you might even look at me and be like, man, like he, he's making a difference. And, but just know what? I'm just as insecure, too. <laughs> Or it might be their family. They all come into church together and they just look perfect. They have the perfect Christmas cards. And meanwhile, we've been fighting in the car and our last Christmas photos, we're just praying that it's not, we're strangling each other. It's like, okay, I hope they have smiles on their faces. Or it might just be a mindset that people have. There's some people that you just look at them and there's this contentment. They're just at peace. And it's like, wow, I wish I could have that. But the problem is, is that when you're looking at someone, where they are, you're just seeing them in their current chapter, exactly where they are. You don't know the full story, all the chapters that it took to get them to that point. So you might be looking at their current chapter thinking, man, I want a story like that. But you don't know that the previous chapter might have been called private sacrifices. Or there might have been a chapter called heartbreaking loss. Or the chapter called Overcoming Insecurities. Or the chapter called My Spiritual Doubts. All you see is the current chapter. So today, what I want to do is I want to show you from the last chapter of the book of Ruth, a principle. So if you're taking notes, make sure to get this. The decisions that you make today will determine the story that you tell tomorrow. The decisions you're making in your life today, what you do, what you don't do, who you're with, who you're not with, the decisions that you're making today will actually determine the chapter that you will live out tomorrow. So, for those of you who may not be happy with the current chapter you're in, and you're wanting and longing for a a better chapter, a different chapter, you want a different story, I'm calling this message today, Choosing your next chapter so father i'm just going to ask now that as you're the author of all life and the giver of all good things that your holy spirit would teach us these principles to live a life that would honor you and write a story that would glorify you we pray this in jesus name amen so we're jumping back into the book of ruth And a quick summary of the context of Ruth, so that we're all on the same page, is that she's a Moabite widow who left Moab and turned to the God of Bethlehem. And she came with her mother-in-law without much hope and without any resources, and she got to work. And instead of doing what a lot of women would have been forced to do when they were widowed, she didn't sell her body, she didn't beg for money, and she actually started gleaning in the field of a guy named Boaz. And she just so happened, that's what the text says, that she just so happened to be gleaning in the field of this guy named Boaz, who is a man of standing. And Boaz met Ruth, and he actually, he admired her. He saw her character and her, her integrity and her work ethic. And they had what looked like a little bit of a lunch date And he asked her to sit down. They had this date. It seemed like the sparks were flying. But then suddenly he ghosted her, and it was just radio silence. Like she heard nothing. So, Ruth, with the encouragement of her mother in law, last week we saw this weird scenario where Naomi's like, Ruth, you need to go lay at the foot of this guy while he's sleeping by his prophets. So she goes down and she lays by him. And he wakes up in the middle of the night, and she's kind of like, Whoa, remember me? And I don't know why that all went down the way it did, that was such a cultural thing, but what I do know is that she was at the foot of his bed, and she almost like kind of proposed to him, or at least asked him to propose, and it's kind of something like, will you be my guardian redeemer? Because that was a thing, that if you were widowed, that down the family line, those people would then step in to, to protect you and watch over you. And a guardian redeemer is someone who would protect and provide for a widow, a family member who would step into this important role. Now, according to the law, there was a problem because Boaz wanted to be her guardian redeemer, kind of woke up and is like, oh, yeah, I did go radio silent, but I will step into this role. But the problem is there's someone in front of me. There's a guy that's more closely related. So since there was someone else, he had this problem he had to overcome. So somehow he had to find this guy, and we don't know where he is, we don't know what he's doing. He had to find this guy and work out a deal so he could pursue the woman that he had on his heart. Now to make this deal, Boaz needed three things. And what did he need? Well, he needed the same three things that you and I need to write a better chapter. And that is, he needed God's providence, he needed strategic planning, and he needed faith-filled prayers. He needed the providence of God, he needed a strategic plan, and he needed spirit-filled, faith-filled prayers. So let's start with the first one, the providence of God. What is the providence of God? Well, we've defined it this way. The providence of God is whenever God uses supernatural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. And I love that. Because when you read through the book of Ruth, oddly enough, you don't see any big physical miracles. There's no parting of the sea. There's no healing and opening blind eyes. But what you do see is the miraculous providence of God where he uses natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. And you're going to see this starting in the very last chapter. So If you want to go there right now, I'm trying this out today. I've made a QR code, Ruth chapter 4. If you have your phone with you and you don't have a Bible, scan that with your camera and it will take you right to Ruth 4 and even in the translation that I'm using, which is the NLT, the New Living Translation today. So feel free to pull out your phone, no judgment, phones are allowed. But while you're turning there, Boaz has a problem. He's got to find this guy and this guy who's supposed to be the guardian redeemer. And Ruth chapter four, starting in verse one, says this, he went to the town gate and took a seat there. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. So let's stop for a moment. What's the town gate? Well, it's a place that they would do business deals. You'd negotiate a deal, you'd close on land. It's kind of like going to city hall or going to court. It was this formal place. So Boaz goes to the town gate, he takes a seat, and what are the next two words? Let's say it all aloud. Just then, just then, it just so happens the family redeemer that he had mentioned comes by. It just so happens that the providence of God was working through natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will. Like this, I love it. It's like scripture winking at us. Like just then, like like get it? Like you see what's happening? Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, hey, come over here. I've got a deal for you. Sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. Now, the word here for friend is a very, very generous translation of the real word that comes from the Hebrew language. In Hebrew, this word translated for friend is actually an idiom that's used only twice in the Bible. And what it literally means is it means a muted name, a muted name. So a very, very literal translation could be, hey, Mr. No-Name, like he's not given a name. And that's what it is. Hey, Mr. No-Name, that's what we see in the text. Come over here. And we're going to discover that the author of the book of Ruth, Samuel, doesn't include this guy's name. And I'll tell you probably why he didn't include it in a few minutes. So when did Mr. No Name show up? The text says just then. Just then he showed up. He just so happened to show up. Did Boaz get lucky? Was it a coincidence? Or was this God using his natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will? So Mr. No Name just so happens to show up by the providence of God at the exact right time, in the exact right circumstances. So what do you need for a better chapter? You need the providence of God. So I'll show you how this is spelled in the Hebrew language. This is Hashgacha Pratis. Now, in Hebrew, that word at the top that's written in Hebrew, you actually read from right to left. So obviously in our English language, we read left to right, but this is the word for the providence of God. And when we read Hebrew, we have to read it backwards. And I would say it's very similar with the providence of God. The providence of God is like reading Hebrew. It's best understood when read backwards. It's kind of like the saying, hindsight is 20 If you want to see the providential power of God, it's best When you look where you are and when you look backwards to see how God used natural circumstances to bring about his supernatural will in your life. And I'll give you some very personal examples of my own. Most of you are familiar with my testimony and my upbringing, born and raised in a Christian home, which I'm so thankful for, decided to go into accounting and I passed every course except accounting. I'm like, oh man, what do I do with that? It's not looking good. So then a bunch of friends were going to Bible college and I thought, well, I could do a one-year Bible certificate. Like, What's the harm in that? So I did that and it just so happened that there was a prof that I just really admired. She just knew her stuff and she was just able to make it so applicable and she actually went to Trinity Western out in BC. And after that year of Bible college, I left my faith behind. I was just like, you know what? All these other people who are studying to be pastors and lay leaders and ministry workers, I don't know. There was just a lot of hypocrisy and I got sick of it. I'm like, choose one side or the other. And I chose the partying lifestyle. I thought that would be more fun and more fulfilling. And for the next four years, that's what I did. But when God grabbed a hold of my life, it just so happened that I remembered this prof who had gone to Trinity Western. And I decided I need to go into ministry and I need to go to Trinity Western. And God orchestrated all of these things to take me out west. And then that summer, it just so happened that I met this girl named Amanda, who had just been living in BC, moved to Hamilton, but was going back to Trinity Western. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And I look at where I am today. I've married that girl named Amanda. We have two beautiful kids. And here we are doing ministry in Hamilton because it just so happened. And church planting, again, nothing that was on my radar, nothing that I wanted to do. I took a course on it, and I said, that's crazy, whoever church plants. You don't have people, you don't have a budget, you don't have a building. How on earth do you ever do that? And I still ask that question some days. But it just so happened that I started running into people who were telling me, you need to talk to this guy, Steve, at Gateway. You need to talk to this guy, Steve, at Gateway. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm applying for all these other jobs. Well... Do you know how many churches called me back after I applied? Zero. Like, no one was calling me. I'm just like, man, this is awkward. Like, I really felt God was calling me into this role, and no one's even taking the chance on me. And I like to write it down to that I didn't have enough silver hair yet. It's starting to come out the sides, but I'm getting there. (laughs) But it just so happened that I had a terrible conversation with a ministry leader one day. And I picked up the phone and I said, fine, I'm going to call this guy Steve and see if he's open to an idea of church planting. And here we are today because it just so happened. And what's amazing is just like Hebrew, when you read it backwards, it's so much easier to see the providence of God and how God was orchestrating all of these things before I even realized it. The providential will of God It's like reading Hebrew. It's best when read backwards. And if you look at Ruth, what we're going to find is in chapter four, she gets really blessed. But you have to remember that this is not like some of her previous chapters. So if you were going to title some of the previous chapters, you might have called one suddenly and tragically widowed. That's chapter one. Boom. Another chapter would have been called the faith to leave Moab. Another chapter would have been called Broke and Broken in Bethlehem. She got there and had nothing. And so if you find yourself in a place where you're just hoping for a better chapter, you might want to look for the providence of God. You're not in your final chapter right now. Like I said earlier, if you're not dead, God's not done. God is still writing your story and there is more story for him to tell. The providential will of a very good God. He is at work in your life, whether you realize it or not. So the first thing you need for a better chapter is the providence of God. The second thing that you're going to need is strategic plans. Strategic plans. And yes, strategic planning is actually spiritual. I have had some conversations with previous pastors who are like, but What about the Holy Spirit? Like, you're not leaving room if you're making all these plans. And I said, the Holy Spirit's at work as I'm planning. I'm inviting him into all of this. And what's amazing is as we actually do a better job planning, it allows us to be more flexible and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and move because we're not flying by the seat of our pants just hoping things will work out. So in fact, I'm going to show you what Boaz did because it's pretty interesting. I like Boaz. He wasn't a pastor. He's not a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He's a business leader. He's, he's just a dude living life. And where he's going, he wasn't going to a Bible study. He, he's not going on a missions trip. He's going to make a business deal. And God was all over this deal. So I hope you understand that you can be in business. You can be a stay-at-home parent. You can be anything else and still please God all day long. You don't have to be in professional or official formal ministry. Your relationship with Jesus is your ministry, wherever you are. And so Boaz goes to the city gate with this plan and he calls 10 business leaders together to be witnesses. And he says, Mr. No Name, I'm gonna make you an offer that you cannot refuse. And so if you want this land, here's what you need to do. And here's what the text says, if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want the land, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it. And the guy said, all right, basically, okay, if you want to sell me this land for pennies on the dollar, I'll do it. But then Boaz says, oh yeah, there's one more thing I forgot. He's working his strategic plan here. And he says, I forgot to tell you, of course your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way, she could have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. In other words, you got to have babies. you got to give that land that you've spent your money on back to the family. You don't even get to keep it. And suddenly, Mr. No Name kind of pumps on the brakes like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this wasn't really the deal that I agreed to. You're telling me this deal comes with a couple of widows? Uh, one's a Moabite and the other's the mother-in-law. Like, no offense, (laughs) mother-in-laws. I love mine, I swear. But Mr. No Name's kind of like, I got to provide for both of them and I got to pay for the land and I got to give them the land. What kind of deal is this for me? And so Mr. No Name says this. He says, then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. And he says to Boaz, Boaz, You redeem the land. I can't do it. You see, Mr. No Name was kind of thinking his chapter was titled A Bad Investment. But Boaz is thinking, this chapter for me is called A Legacy Opportunity. And the author looks on and says, I'm not even going to dignify this selfish guy who is more concerned with his own money than any type of ministry in protecting and providing and caring for these women I'm just going to call that guy Mr. No-Name, a muted name. And Boaz is working his plan. And when you look through this story, you see that most people didn't have any kind of a plan. If we go all the way back to chapter one, we have Elimelech, Naomi's husband, and they move off to Moab. But if you remember, Elimelech's name is, means my God is king but he didn't have a plan and he wasn't living like God was his king. There was no will. He ended up dying and left his wife high and dry. There was no plan. And then you may remember Ruth's husband, Malon. You remember to him and his brother were named sick and tired with the literal translation. He didn't have a plan. And Mr. No Name didn't have a plan. He couldn't see past today. He couldn't see past himself. He had no plan for the future. And that's why I want to remind you that one of the most spiritual things you can do is make a plan. In fact, I love what God's word says in the Old Testament. Proverbs 21 verse five says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. So I want to stay here for just a moment. Good planning. One of the most spiritual things you can do is to create a plan. And God had a plan. And he sent his son. Good planning and hard work. And we live in a culture today where nobody wants to work hard. My kids are either wanting to become sports players or YouTube stars because it's easier. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but you want to eat? Well, the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. There's a reward to hard work. And it was more true back in the day when you literally had to harvest the fields in order to eat. And good planning and hard work leads to a life of blessings and prosperity. Now, this is what scripture says, but I do use the word prosperity carefully. But hastiness and shortcuts leads to poverty. But good planning and hard work lead to a life of blessings and prosperity. So I would ask you this, what's your plan? Like really, like what's your plan? My father-in-law asked me that when I was getting to know Amanda and he always works in five-year blocks. What's your plan for five years? What's your plan for 10 years? And I would always say, I don't know. I was kind of just like, I was the guy living by the seat of my pants, flying by the seat of my pants, just hoping for the best kind of figuring out what the, t- the chapter was called once I lived it. But I've realized over time that even though we might plan and work hard, it doesn't necessarily mean everything will go exactly as we plan. Not at all. But I believe we'll be closer to the end result than if we didn't have a plan in the first place. Like, if you want to be closer to Jesus, what's your plan? Like, I know a lot of people who say, yeah, yeah, I want to, but they they don't do anything moving them toward that, and then another year goes by, and they're in the same exact place, thinking, oh, but, okay, this year I want to be closer to Jesus. So I would ask you this, what's your plan? Some of you might say, well, my marriage is struggling. Well, what's your plan? Get a plan to be in a life group, to do life with others to open up God's word together to let other people pour into your marriage and relationships and take a moment to receive what these people are giving or it might be going to counseling or we haven't been able to figure this out on our own so we're just going to go and get some help from godly wisdom to create a plan to help strengthen our marriage or financially what's your plan some of you the plan's just to survive and i get it right now that that's like the food banks are on the rise People are coming, and they're admitting to the food banks, I have a full-time job, my wife has a full-time job, but we can't afford to put food on our table for the next couple of weeks until payday comes again. A lot of people, we don't necessarily articulate this as a plan, but our plan is to spend more than we make and then just hope somehow it resolves itself in the future. But instead, I think you need to sit down, create a plan, Plan to cut up some credit cards if you need to, start a a debt snowball, sit down, make a budget. And Actually, I was hoping to run a budgeting workshop in November, but there's just too much on the go right now, but I am planning one. I've been talking to an accountant from Gateway, and we're planning to run one hopefully mid to end January and into February, so if that's something that's interested, Uh, It interests you, stay tuned, because we do want to have a budgeting workshop. Because it's one thing for me to even say, hey, budget better, without giving you a plan or the tools to do so. But what's your health plan? Like, if we're going to honor God with our health and our bodies, and we want to be able to do more and keep up with our kids, well, then we need to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And if all of your friends are stoned 80% of the time, They're all broken. They're far from God. Well, maybe you need a different plan when it comes to your inner circle because the decisions that you make today determine the story that you'll tell tomorrow. So what do you need? You need the providence of God. You need a good plan. And Boaz works his plan. He goes and buys the land and he becomes the guardian redeemer. And verse 10 tells us this. And with the land I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon to be my wife this way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown and he says to everybody there you are witnesses of this today and what he's doing is he's joining his chapter with Ruth's chapter to create God's chapter what God is doing We're together through the providence of God, through strategic planning, and we're gonna find through powerful, faith-filled prayer that God is entering this story and bringing about something more powerful than you can ever imagine. But are you aware of God at work? What do you need for a better chapter? You need the providence of God, you need some strategic plans, and the third thing that we all need is we need to be praying some faith-filled prayers. And in fact, as we've gone through the book of Ruth, you may or may not have noticed that prayer is actually all over this book. It's all over it. But almost all of them are very short prayers. Sometimes people ask me as a pastor, how long do you pray every day? And if I had to think about it, I'd say like four to five hours. Just kidding. (laughs) Just seeing if you're paying attention. No, it's nowhere near that. The truth of the matter is, I don't pray very many long prayers, but there are very few long periods of time that I don't go without praying. It's more like this ongoing conversation that I'm inviting God into as I go through the day. And sure, there are dedicated times that I do pray, but I'm usually talking to God in these short bursts of prayer. And that's what you see all through the book of Ruth, ongoing conversation prayer. So let me show you some of the prayers in Ruth. Naomi prays, may the Lord give you a husband. Ruth prays, may the Lord deal with me if I leave you. Boaz, may the Lord be with you. Workers, may the Lord bless you. Boaz, may the Lord repay and bless you. Ruth, may I continue to find favor. Naomi, may the Lord bless the man who blessed you. And Boaz, may the Lord bless you. You see, there's this ongoing awareness of the presence of God in their life. So it's not these dedicated long moments of prayer and strategic planning for hours on end. They're inviting God into their everyday moments. And we see prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer. And then the elders pray a generous prayer of blessing in Ruth chapter 4 verse 11. Scripture says this, Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we are witnesses she's now your wife may she be blessed with children may the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah from whom all the nation of Israel descended That's huge may she, this Moabite woman be like the woman from whom the whole nation of Israel descended and may you prosper in Ephrathen and be famous in Bethlehem May the Lord make this woman Ruth, the Moabite woman who turned to the God of Israel. May you, like her, may you make her like the women from the nation of Israel, that the whole nation descended. And may you prosper and be famous in Bethlehem. And I don't know about you, but I just happen to know another person who's a little bit famous in Bethlehem. And his name is Jesus. And he is all over this story. Do you see the providential power of God through the strategic planning and the faithful prayers of the people. Because remember, the providence of God is like reading Hebrew. It's best understood backwards. So let's look at the story of Jesus backwards. What is the story of the Gospel? The story of the Gospel is this, that God so loved the world, that God so loved you, that He gave His one and only Son, Jesus, who is perfect, the Lamb of God without sin, who was slain for the forgiveness of sins he died on the third day the stone was rolled away and he was not there the tomb was empty so that anyone including you anyone who calls on the name of jesus would be saved that is the gospel and it doesn't matter who you are your sins can be forgiven but reading backwards before jesus died and rose again he prayed on the cross he declared, it is finished. And he prayed, into your hands I commit my spirit. But before he died, before he rose again, before he prayed that prayer, Jesus was actually fulfilling God's strategic plan. God had a plan the whole time. Scripture tells us this plan. For God saved us and called us to a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was God's plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace and his love and his mercy through Christ Jesus. And reading backwards, we know that Jesus was born without sin. How? He was born from the Virgin Mary. And the providence of God is just like reading Hebrew. When we read Matthew 1.16, it tells us what did Mary do? Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And where did that come from? Well, Mary was engaged to Joseph, whose father was Jacob. And if you look at Matthew chapter 1, this is the timeline. You see, Jesus came from Mary and Joseph, who came from Jacob, Mathen, Eleazar, Eliud, Echim, Zadok, who came from Azor, Eliakim, Abiad, Zerubbabel, Shealtale, Jehoiakim, who came from Josiah, amon Manasseh, Hezekiah, Ahaz, Jotham, who came from Uzziah, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat, Asa, Abijah, Rehoboam, Solomon, David, Jesse, and Obed, who came from Ruth and Boaz. You see, when you look backwards, you see the providential will and the plan of a good, good God who is working the whole time, who is working in the good chapters, who's working in the dark chapters. He's working in every single moment, pointing toward the grace, the glory, and the goodness of God. And whatever chapter you're in, God is in it with you. He's still working, he's still there. And in God's providence and through God's plan and through the prayers of the saints for a savior, God offered salvation, not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan. So if you think about your next chapter, what do you need? The providential power of God. It's like, oh, that's what he was up to. I didn't see it at the time but now I see where God was at work. You need strategic planning. Good planning and hard work leads to blessings and prosperity. And you need a life of dependence on God. Just like, God, I need you. Direct my steps, I'm praying, God. I'm, I'm not walking by sight, I'm walking by faith. Direct my steps, I need your guidance, I need your power, I need your wisdom, and all that together, God will help you write your next chapter, and it will be a chapter where He's glorified because He is with you and He is so, so good. So Father,, oh, today, we just ask for your power, your grace, your goodness, to do a work in our lives in a way that only you can do. And if there's some of us that we're just in a chapter that we just we weren't in at the moment. We just long for something different. I just pray that even though we may not see you right now, but that we thank you that you are here with us. God, you're even with us in the chapters that we don't understand. So help us to trust you. Help us to see you. Help us to do our own part, to create a plan, to be wise, to be good stewards. And God, ultimately to depend on you in prayer. So we pray, God, I pray, for miracles. I pray for those who are seeking healing, for those who need restoration, provision, emotional peace, miracles and relationships. God, I pray that we would see your power, see your presence, and that you would continue to to, to work and be glorified. God, we know that you have a plan, and your plan isn't just to make us happy on this earth or to give us a better house. Your plan is for us to know you, to be transformed, to be spiritually at peace, and to have the God kind of life. That's your plan. So, God, if someone's here and they just recognize that they're not walking with you, they don't know you intimately. May they know that they are not here by accident. This is part of your plan. And your plan is for us to say yes to the gift of salvation through Jesus. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. So today, help us to leave Moab, to leave our life of sin behind and move toward Bethlehem. Go toward you and surrender our lives to you. And when we call on your name, you hear our prayers. You forgive our sins. The old is gone and everything becomes new. So Father, forgive our sins. Save us. Make us brand new. Fill us with your spirit so that we can know you. We can walk in your love. That we can show your love to others. We thank you for new life. You have all of ours. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.